Final Fantasy meets Dark Souls. Just make basically a Dark Souls game, but make it turn-based with four characters. You know, and boom. You you, you set me up and then you knock me down again. Because when you say Final Fantasy, that's Dark Souls, which... Because Kyle and I both just use that phrase with zero irony, you're probably listening to the the podcast, The Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And uh, this is a show where we discuss the television series, The Big Bang Theory, uh, in between the things we'd rather talk about, like this Final Fantasy Dark Souls thing. And Kyle, so my understanding is that um, the recent action RPG Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise is basically that except not turn-based and so that would be better and then like you combine those things and you get me start like thinking about darkest dungeon brutality or whatever right and i'm mostly thinking about it's a pro because the the thing that we can all agree two things two things have fuck have gone have gone wrong the first thing is final fantasy has gotten way over obsessed with uh with like I said, it's aesthetic and it's storytelling to the yeah. point where this is what originally got me thinking about this conversation is Nick, you sent me an article that was like, even the people making Final Fantasy fifteen admit that they don't oh. know what the fucking story is. And I was like, So that's bad. So yeah. why not go back to the series roots, which were actually very similar to the roots of like I haven't actually ever played the first Final Fantasy game, but my understanding is very story like game. Like basically you're a bunch of you're a nameless party. You're like going into a couple of dungeons. You're finding magic crystals and killing a f- couple bosses. Game over, basically. Well, yeah, and it's it's frustrating because which so- is basically the plot of your average like Elden Ring, Dark Souls clone. So well, it's it's story light and yet was more interesting than most game stories at the time. Even though, like, right from the get go, it didn't make a great deal of sense because. You know, your very first mission is, oh, go save the princess. You do that. And then it's like, oh, well, now the real thing is that the the earth is rotting away. You have to save it from these fiends. And in killing the force that gave all of them to that brought all of them together, you have destroyed the time loop, that which was necessary to bring forth your own existence. And so you have wiped yourself from existence, but will be known in legends forever. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you could do so yeah, I'm just imagining it doesn't have to be a sprawling open world game, but just like a game kind of like Elden Ring where you're wandering around a map, it has, you know, each section of the map has its own uh series of has its own like unique monsters and and like aesthetic and whatever and this is where it gets, you know, each section of the map has its own party member you can recruit and there are and so you go, to, and one section is locked off. Well, maybe not even locked off. Just really fucking, like, again, you don't need, that's the beauty of Dark Souls. You don't need to wall things off. You just make the enemies there so terrifying that people, you know, feel kind of like it's dumb to go there too early in the game. So, yeah, you go, you re- recruit the party members in any order. You level them all up. You master, you know, you get whatever you need from each dungeon. You access the final area. You fight and kill God because that is the one Final Fantasy tradition that I feel like you really can't get done with. It's the and one it's thing also, I'm consistently on board with, yes. Right, and it's also the thing that is the most like Dark Souls, I guess, because you always end in those games. I think you basically end up fighting and killing God at the end, too. So, 
so then and then yeah you're done with the game and it's all you can still have all the little like story beats and like you know who are these mysterious characters that you're slowly like fate is hardening into a well-honed party of you know the wizard the fighter the the assassin slash thief and the the heel bot and you know you can sort of you can give them little lines of dialogue that hint at their mysterious and tragic backstories but you don't need to know every single thing about them or about the world you'll figure enough of it out to save it and then yeah at the end it turns out you've been caught in a time loop that you can now undo at the cost of ever having existed boom i mean we can't talk about final fantasy forever but you just reminded me of this god it was it was final fantasy 15 you know the last one that came out that was unfinished turd uh which i played all the way through because i'm a buffoon but um then i tried replaying (laughs) that was like the first final fantasy i ever beat is the funny part oh oh you maniac but you know one reveal near the end is you know you're the, the the good thing about that game is uh boy squad rules like i fucking just hanging with your bros that's a good time but yeah. um yeah near the end of the game one of your bros is like hey by the way i'm actually one of these hollow soldiers we've been killing the entire time but i have a personality i guess and everyone's like yeah man whatever you know <laughs> live and learn and you're like why did you, why even bother bringing that up it, it has no impact or like it's it's just out of left field it ha- no one cares and you move on and it's like what it's just you, you you're like adding artificial complexity to these characters by just like bringing in i don't know random facts rather yeah. than like actual character don't you find that out after like the single worst section of any final fantasy game ever which is like the ten thousand hour like crawl through that tower that does nothing so i think so I think that is correct, and then also, uh, it will never not be funny to me that the developers of the game, after their initial release, released an update that allows you to skip that chapter. They're just like, hey man. Our bad. Yeah, we worked long and hard on this, or at least that's what we're saying, but oh yeah, no, it's maybe that one just kind of stunk. So if you just want to, <laughs> you just want to skip it, that's fine. And, oh, wow, that's... That, to me, is, like, a sign that, I don't know, vid- well, I mean, there are a billion other signs, but, like, just these big video games as a model are not sustainable. If you can, you know, expect these intense release schedules, dump these millions and millions and millions of dollars and release it, and then, based on player feedback, be like, ah, well, maybe that wasn't really our vision after all, was it? <laughs> anyway, you want to talk about the TV show? <laughs> Yes, but I just want to say it one more time. Dark Souls is basically uh, has all of the aesthetic and storytelling beats that we expect that Final Fantasy had back in the day. So maybe the other horrifying thought is Dark Souls could go in that direction too, which maybe like if they keep making these eventually, maybe like Elden Ring 4 will just be like an interminable mess of like, of like, you know, boy models with their you know, gorgeous spiky hair saying nonsense. And the oh, only thing that but... will be left that will remind you it's still an Elden Ring game will be the incredible difficulty of the bosses. How you say that. And while I understand that that is overall unsatisfying, I also just thought about running around playing Dark Souls as Cloud Strife. And I can't tell you how horny I just got. Like that's... <laughs> I, that mod has to exist al- if, already, right? I mean, you could already... Because I, I think I saw someone... Didn't someone like take in 
Yeah, someone modded all of the bosses in Elden Ring to be bosses from one, to be, like, characters from the manga One Piece. So I feel like it would, if anything, it would be aesthetically easier to just mod everything to be Final Fantasy VII. I mean, Melania is basically Sephiroth, right? She's a big, scary person with a with a ridiculously long katana who, like, teleports everywhere and hacks you to pieces. I am becoming increasingly hyper-aware of how much nerdier we are getting moment by moment. Like, not nerdier okay, than normal. Okay, fine. Summarize the goddamn episode. Hey, I'd rather be talking about it too, okay? But we have a purpose here. <laughs> the least favorite part of this dumb experiment that we keep doing is the only part that matters to me. And so let's read the Wikipedia summary of <laughs> Season 7, Episode 7 of the television series The Big Bang Theory, officially titled The Proton Displacement, from the fan wiki. Sheldon and Leonard meet Professor Proton, Proton uh, real name in the show... Arthur Jeffries, again, who chooses uh, Leonard to collaborate on his paper instead of Sheldon, which upsets the latter. Sheldon then brings in Bill Nye as his new idol, but is soon ditched by Nye. Meanwhile, Raj is upset when Howard joins him in coming to Girls' Night with Penny's Posse, which, by the way, Penny's Posse has its own link highlighted, and so I'm not going to, you know, read that whole page right now, but I'm glad it's there for me later. So, yeah. This one, water off my back. It, I, I think um, I liked it just fine. Uh, I, I remember there was maybe like one point where I had a genuine a chuckle, but I don't know. Was, uh, what do you think? Uh, no, I didn't like this episode at all. I found it really boring. I didn't hate it. I just was like, wow, nothing happens. I don't connect to this at all uh i think that's probably where the long digression the final fantasy first started for me but anyway no tell me about your feelings well i don't know i don't have too many like it's i uh i i can never recognize or remember his name and i had to look it up again but as you reminded me the, the from the first time he was a guest bob newhart is back and he is very effortlessly funny which at least that much I enjoy. I mean, we talked last time too about how, like, you know, whether he enjoys doing this or whether he feels like maybe this is the the, the tantamount irony that his career has developed. Uh, but I don't know. I do like him at the very least. But yeah, as far as the actual plot goes... Um, Wallowitz finds out that Raj goes to girls' night with all the the lady characters, and he loves it because it's a time for him where he can um, be his more kind of naturally feminine self uh, without getting fucking razzed by the bros all the time. But Wallowitz uh, just can't let it be, has to show up, not only uh, continues to, to sass Raj, but is like, hey, ladies, you want to do some real jewelry making? They were making jewelry, by the way. Uh, I'll go get my soldering kit. And so they do that. And um, they are all having fun, except for Raj, because he feels like his little special thing is totally getting horned in on, which it is. And then they have, like, a little feelings talk. Raj is like, hey, I don't talk about my feelings with you or act myself because uh, you constantly uh, chuckle on me for being effeminate and having emotions. Uh, and Wallowitz is like, all right, well, I guess, 
you know, now that we've acknowledged that, that's another one of those kind of like long-term conflicts that is no longer going to be part of the show, presumably. And that ends, and that ends that. And then, the, you know, what is ostensibly the primary, the A plot is, uh, yeah, uh, Professor Proton, a.k.a. Bob Newhart, a.k.a. the This World's Mr. Wizard that the Leonard and Sheldon idolize, reaches out to Leonard to get help with a paper, and Sheldon is very jealous. And where I thought this was going to go and was disappointed that it didn't really is that Amy, after they have uh, this run-in with Professor Proton at CVS, is like, Sheldon, and she won't actually say it, but it's like, have you ever considered that maybe you're annoying? And instead of actually saying it, she stops short. And Sheldon, a couple times in the episode, is like, you mean I'm annoying, right? You know I'm annoying, that I'm annoying. You mean to say I'm annoying? And what I really thought was going to happen is that he was going to have to like actually confront of what why it is that people don't really like being around him. That you know, not only does he understand that he's annoying, but oh man, it's going to get so real because he knows that he can't do anything about it. That he understands that he people have this allergic social reaction to him. And that he is trying his best by learning different social cues and that he just cannot keep up with people's expectations. Oh, it's a struggle. And it's glad that, you know, good that Amy is calling him out and acknowledging it. But, ah, what do they do about it now? Oh, it's complicated. We have something for the characters to work on for the rest of the season. And instead, um, this kind of gets over it. (laughs) It's, there is one scene where, you know, he, he does the M, uh, Sam Annoying, Sam Annoying thing with Bob Newhart. And then he does say, you're annoying. And uh, Sheldon goes, oh, well, that hurt. And that's that's it. And that's also basically it for the plot, too. Like, there is a little bit where uh, Bill Nye comes in because Sheldon is like, oh, I'm going to hang out with Bill Nye if you won't hang out with me. And I like him, too. He's fun. He, he gets, like, a solid minute or two of screen time before he bails. Yeah. And then Leonard and Professor Proton, you know, work on their experiment, and it's fine. And, and yeah. the joke there, I guess, which is probably actually, it's like, it's like, uh, hey, Bill, you know, you're famous for doing something that hundreds of public access oh. TV person that celebrities did before you, and you just happen to take off and be the one who's most famous for it, and that makes you, I don't, he, not actually, just the joke that like someone who did not get famous. Doing the exact same thing now, hate someone who is famous for doing it is pretty funny. Yeah, no, Bob Newhart uh, does seem, or Professor Proton, yeah, seems genuinely aggrieved that uh, Bill Nye stole his whole thing and that he would be rich and famous were it not for this conniving thief. And then one of the lines I did like later was uh, Sheldon again trying to make. Professor Proton and Leonard Jealous is sending pictures of him and Bill Nye getting smoothies together. And then he texts Leonard, oh no, he totally ditched me. I need a ride. And Bob Newhart goes, yeah, he probably stole his wallet too. And I'm like, ah, yeah, get his ass, that fucking thief. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is the whole episode. Um, There was one line that, uh, you know, our classic game of reading too much into it is when... Wallowitz shows up at the the ladies' night jewelry party. Uh, his his opening line is, "Hey, check it out! I'm putting the Jew back in jewelry." And, <laughs> I know. Okay, I lied. I forgot about that line, but it was 
finish yeah. the joke. This part well, so was I like that line. I actually thought it was kind of funny. Um, you know, not really, you know, here or there, just like, ha, whatever. And then Bernadette kind of swoops in and is like, oh, so it's okay when you say it. Um, and I'm like, first of all, Bernadette, you know why it's different. I bet you and Wallowitz have had several conversations about why it's different. Um, but also, oh, I, 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 it's gotta, it's gotta be a sex talk thing. I, I bet, I bet there was something about putting, I don't know, the Jew and her or whatever. And Wallowitz was like, hey, hey, <laughs> like, uh, you don't, you don't really get to, to talk that kind of shit as a, as a Gentile. Ooh. But that's, that's what I thought. I don't know. What were your thoughts? <laughs> Uh, I didn't, I, my thought was that she had made that joke and Wallowitz was like in when, while they were driving over and Wallowitz was like, no, that's not okay. And then he walks in and steals her joke. And that was how I took it. But yours oh, is better. Okay. Well, either way, uh, there's, there's some sort of, uh, pain deception between them, but yeah, I don't know. I do like the idea of, 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 um. Wallowitz thinking, boy, that's kind of racist, but I'm going to steal that joke later. Yeah, I can see him doing that. I feel like that's probably where a lot of his material he uses against Raj came from. Like, <laughs> It's just Bernadette saying incredibly heinous things about Indian people behind the scenes, but keeps it to herself in public, but Wallowitz has yeah. no such filter. Maybe that's why her other character traits don't shine through, is that she's trying... She's using so much psychic energy to suppress the racism that I was... Mean, her- we we've met her father. Well, He's that's like, exactly <laughs> what I was gonna say. That was just like flowing free from her cop dad, and you know that's it. Like here, hey hey, weird little side note here about Nick Hyde. Racist or dog shit. I also am always sad because I'm like, no one is born a racist. They have to learn to be a racist. And so then I think about Bernadette, like just growing up in that environment, and then now she's she's with these cool people, but. She she has to keep she has to keep it under control. Cop dad, she's never taken that part out of her. All she can do is suppress it. Um, anyway, maybe you know Wallowitz is the bridge to help that family start to reach a better understanding of uh, acceptance. I don't know. There's also some jokes about Wallowitz's mom being really fat. That happens too. Oh, Jewelry yes. that won't fit around her neck. Well, you were talking about things that got real. I thought the closest this episode gets to real is Bob Newhart does the whole like, uh, is it Bob Newhart or is it the other Bob? It is Bob Bob Newhart. Newhart. I had to look it up, but yeah, it is Bob Newhart. Okay. Who the fuck is Bob Hope? I was thinking Bob Hope the whole time. And I'm not going to look it up because that's one of those things where I should obviously know the difference between these two people. And yet. It's fine. Hey, I mean, it is funny that there's actually only a couple of famous people in all of American entertainment history named Bob, now that I think about it. You'd think that would happen every day, uh, just statistically. Anyway. Well, maybe um, the first couple of Bobs ruined it for everybody else, because you can't, you know, you can't be one in a field of Bobs. You got to stand out. So I, he's asking uh, Leonard, like, why are you friends with Sheldon? Which is a question oh, people right, ask right. all the time. And Sheldon, and you, I expect that, you know, Leonard tries to laugh the question off. He's like, I don't know. He's kind of, he's just my friend. He's my buddy. He needs me. He's broken and he needs me. I was like, well, wow. and then he very sweetly is like, and I need him. And Bob Newhart is like, but why? <laughs> yes. And Leonard is like, stop asking me difficult questions. <laughs> Which now, if now, since you've, since you and uh, you put the whole Bernadette Wallowitz thing. Now, again, it does feel like a sex thing. 
Oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that came around. <laughs> and speaking of sex things, uh, one of my favorite things about Bob Newhart being on the episode is that the only interest he has in any of these people is he wants to be around hot young Penny and keeps asking if she's around. And also, this is such like a small thing, but I thought it was weird, is Penny has a very limited role in this episode, uh, but to the extent she is included, there was like a half dozen cutaways to just her laughing at other people. And I don't know if that's because like there's some sort of minimum screen time she needs per her contract or if they were just fill in time. But yeah, I don't know. It was like that was like 80% of her in this episode was just being like slightly out of frame laughing at other people's interactions. Yeah, yeah. I usually assume with stuff like that, like she had a scheduling issue. So in all the group scenes that have Penny in them, it's probably just some other lady in a blonde wig. That's my hypothesis. I'm not going to go back in the episode and check. I'd also like to think that... They did uh, do that on Friends all the time. They would like swap Jennifer Aniston out for just like, you know, they'd shoot the back of some other lady who was about the same height's head and put her in a blonde wig. And then they would just like... You know, because she was off making some movie or something, and then they just cut in Jennifer Aniston's face. I'm also imagining a scenario now in an alternate universe of the Big Bang Theory where there is someone that just kind of looks like Penny that also lives in the apartment, and Sheldon can't really tell them apart. And so half the time... Sometimes he lets her in. Well, yeah, and half the time he thinks he's hanging out with Penny. He's just spending time with this other woman. And then the other friends can't figure out why Sheldon has all these Penny stories that Penny seems to have no awareness of. But, you know, like I said, different universe. Uh, anything else about this episode? Nope. Well, you know what? Sorry, I feel like I'm being overly... Is it weird to... Fe- I guess I'm a little self-conscious. I've been reading our reviews and they're like, these guys are overly negative. And I was thinking, we're not usually that negative anymore. And then I watched this episode and I was like, eh. Could, give, could care less about this. So, you know, I feel like... I don't think either of us ever goes out of our way to be negative uh anymore i definitely full disclosure the the first couple episodes which no one should ever listen to uh, i definitely went out of my way to be as i was trying to be edgy and negative as possible but yeah who i it's been years i don't have that kind of energy anymore well but you know it's i guess yeah for however long we have been been just winging it that you know we're just having our honest reactions to these and you know, that's like a, a such a common critique of criticism is like, well, if you don't like it, why are you talking about it? And it's like, well, you know, first of all, I don't hate it. It's not like this is literal torture. It's true, I don't like it. And it's like, what, should I not talk about things unless I have something positive to say? Is like, I, I like kind of wallowing in mediocrity. Like, let's... I play weird old so-so games because I like understanding what's wrong with them. It's, and I don't know. I, it's not like I, I do this to make myself or others miserable. It's what I enjoy. And I don't know if you can't handle it, maybe fucking lighten up and accept more negativity in your life. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Well, I feel better. All right. Well, with that said, Let's talk about things we actually enjoy. You know, the part that people who don't love this show and hate us seem to actually really like. And I do have one loaded up. But Kyle, you want to go first? Okay. So, um, I am going to recommend a movie 
with a caveat, but without reservations. And to distinguish between those two, I am recommending the film Sisu. I am recommending it without reservation, but with the caveat that maybe I missed the first 20 minutes of it. That said, you know, when I stepped in 20 minutes from then on, that movie just kicked ass. It was great. And uh, unless the first 20 minutes were just absolute dog shit and tear the entire experience down, I'm not worried about, about just recommending. And, oh, I cannot remember the names of the actual people involved. And so instead, I will just refer to them as the guys that made um, Rare Exports, which was, uh, it's, I believe it's a Finnish uh, movie about basically not an evil Santa Claus, but Santa Claus oh, being... Are, right? Huh? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go finish what you were saying. Well, no, what'd you say? I said they're all kind of evil, right? All Santa Clauses? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's, you or know... They're, feral. They ain't right. But yeah, they're... Uh, but you know they're they're more like monsters, and it's a great movie. And then they uh, have a follow up film, basically the same crew, where uh, President United States President Samuel L. Jackson crash, crashes in the Finnish wilderness and has to be saved by a, a scrappy young child. And again, the same crew has come together for the film Sisu, which is uh, the the dad from both of these other movies. Uh, is now playing a a wizened old uh, Finnish badass. This is basically Finnish John Wick, except it takes place near the end of World War II. And the the basic setting is that the Nazis, um, you know, near the end of the war, are running roughshod over what uh, they control of Europe, and they cross they, they they raise a village, and then they cross paths with this. This man, Sisu, who uh, has a whole bunch of gold on him for reasons that they don't even care about because they just want it. And so they decide they're going to get this old man's gold. But wouldn't you know it, this old man is unkillable. And, um, you know, I, I have kind of a general, I don't know, reservation about like, I don't know, Nazis being the default villain in movies, because it's so easy. It's always like, yeah, of course you're going to murder them. They're the stand-in for the most evil people on Earth. It's so tired. But uh, that said, uh, it is really fun watching Nazis get fucked up in this movie. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, and it is first and foremost an action movie. It is, yeah, just old man trying to find uh, a way through <laughs> through brute force and willpower to take out a unit that has a tank and like 12 guys with machine guns and a bunch of hostages uh and yeah it's just it's a lot of fun it's uh not very plot heavy at all there's minimal dialogue even but it is just fun seeing the way that they bang this guy up and how he has to get through it and uh, how he does relentlessly uh, hunt down these guys uh not even out of any vindictiveness himself but just because they won't leave him alone he's just trying to take care of himself and they the nazis goddamned wouldn't leave him to be so um yeah sisu a really fun movie go go check it out it's also i think it's already available for streaming and uh, so that's also a bonus, though theater experience was worth it. So 
Yeah. Kyle, your turn. Uh, you know what? I don't have one big one. Can I just rattle some stuff off? Sure, sure. All right. So first off, saw the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 movie. Pretty good. Uh, you know, actually, like, great in the sense that, like, you know, it's really, like, if you are wondering yourself, do we really need to, like, have trilogies of movies anymore in this massive interconnected universe? Or, like, what's the best you can hope for when the Marvel universe seems, like, determined to, like, eat up every narrative piece of energy left in the universe? And it's like, this one was good. It was incredibly self-contained. There's basically no references to anything that happens outside of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies except for the unfortunately very, like, impossible to avoid fact that uh some stuff happens in endgame that's pretty important but even then they like summarize it in the movie as if like people who might not have seen that somehow even though everybody and their dog saw it they're like here's basically what you need to know about this whole situation um and yeah it was just good it was it was a nice send-off let's call it that because it's very definitively like the last one james gunn is making and so he was like here's basically the end of these characters is like this found family you know what what the fast and the furious movies are taking like 12 to do they do in three and it's satisfying and nice and uh very sad in the middle though i will warn that it basically is like an evil pixar movie in the middle there uh well so two quick things one if you hear music in the background there is in fact an ice cream truck driving by my apartment god i thought i was losing my mind no no i mean you might be but there is also an ice cream truck um but then also i'm not sure if this is the sad part you're referring to but i've i've heard this movie talked about on a couple other movie podcasts and the the general concern was that hey this movie is great oh god the animal torture ah and it seems to be a 50 50 split on that was disgusting and people need to be warned about it and well no that's an important background thing and you should just get over it yeah i don't i'm on the i'm on the second part it's so it is a it's just sad it's like yes the movie part of the movie is you know you know that character who the whole joke is like he looks like a fuck up fucked up raccoon that something awful happened to him to make him bipedal and sentient and able to talk uh well it did and now you get to find out what uh, but I think it's, you know, insofar as it gives you the, uh, you know, insofar as it gives you sort of uh, the missing piece of that character's characterization and, you know, really makes you appreciate it when sort of sort of like in John Wick, then when the guy who did all the bad stuff gets his butt kicked, you're like, oh, this is satisfying. So um, well, I and, will say, go okay. ahead. No, well, go ahead. Say, just a, a quick side note is that. um you know, regardless, uh, not not regardless, regarding, you know, the, the depictions of imaginary animal violence, I am, maybe, maybe I'm dead inside, but like these people who like cannot see any depiction of animal harm in a film, particularly with dogs, I'm like, I, I, I guess that's fine, I get, but you, you don't have the same, same complaints about humans getting exploded. Why is it specifically an animal thing? I just don't get it. Like, I don't want to see animals get hurt any more than anybody else does. But I I feel like I don't have this, like, reaction that so many others do of, like, oh, God, that's the most horrible, grisly thing that could ever happen. And I feel like maybe there's a delicate part of my, my brain that's missing. Like, I'm just unable to empathize in that way. I don't know, though, Kyle. I don't know. How do you feel? <laughs> yeah, I... 
you know, I it did make me sad. It was like kind of a bummer, but I felt like it was just like you know, like I said, I compare. I don't know. I grew up in a different time. Like I watched Mufasa's dad, or I watched Mufasa die, and I watched Bambi's mom get shot. You know, yeah. so this this felt less like something that I, I you know I watched Atreus' horse drown in the mud, like. None of this. This is basically just. I watched Littlefoot's mom. You know, this is all. I, I, I know I keep rattling off examples because you have to understand, people listening. It used to be that like watching cute animals get orphaned and have lose all their friends used to just be like what happened. Yeah, there was a movie called Once Upon the Time in the Forest that is about a bunch of cute woodland animals, and then a a truck goes off the road and nerve gas spills out across the forest and everyone gets poisoned to death except for a small band of like younglings who then have to go on a quest to find like a magical cure to save the one that you know made it out but is still super sick um well this may be too broad of a statement but i think that maybe um in the time between when when you and I were youths growing up on the kind of media you're describing and, and what's out there for, for babies now is that I, I feel like right now the emphasis is on not traumatizing children where I think the, the stuff that you're referring to comes from an era of like, well, no, they're going to get traumatized. So let's at least, you know, control how the trauma happens or at least it's like hey you want you want your kids to feel something right they have short attention spans you want to we got to get them hooked somehow and the easiest way to get them you know in their chairs and standing still is if they're sobbing uncontrollably at the uncontrollable tragedy of life um so yeah so that was just again that's just how i grew up it doesn't freak me out it does make me sad but it was just like yeah yeah, of course just, just part of it so I appreciate it. I thought as far as that stuff goes, it was well done. Um, and not like out of the blue, like again, sort of implicitly what you would expect from the story they were telling. Anyway, so just a couple of that went on longer than I thought. So just a couple other quick things uh, in my endless ab- addiction to tabletop RPGs, which is easily on the same level as Nick's addiction to video games, just lest you think that I am the same <laughs> one of the two of us. Uh, there are a couple of new ones that I've been checking out. Uh, so there's one that's currently getting back that everybody's super excited for that. Uh, I shouldn't, rev- I guess I should wait to review cause I haven't literally opened it yet, but, uh, they're <gasps> making a new magical girl RPG called girls by moonlight. I expect good things from that. And then they released the second edition of this game called swords and wizardry. Uh, swords and wizardry is, an RPG that attempts to replicate as much as possible the feel of Dungeons and Dragons before basically it got popular and anyone was playing it. So it is like it is like Dungeons and Dragons 0.0, like when it was just like a bunch of nerds in basements playing it and all they had were like the original like 30-page pamphlets. And it basically attempts to like reconstruct that version of Dungeons and Dragons, which is not, which is so different from modern versions that it really feels like a completely different game. Although aesthetic, again, this is this is sort of like the Final Fantasy thing. It's interesting because aesthetically, it's an almost identical game. It's you know paladins and monks and assassins and dragons and all of the same creatures. Mm-hmm. So as far as all that goes, it's an identical game. And only then you. Uh, you know, you look at how the actual rules play, and it's like 
your characters are super fragile and they don't have the feats and there's much higher magic item limits because the whole point is going and looting anything that glows out of the dungeon and you gain more points uh, for like yeah would would you say it's like the the dark souls of dungeons and dragons yes 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 it absolutely i would (laughs) i would actually say that dark souls is a better approximation of what dungeons and dragons use dark souls is the closest video game successor to dungeons and dragons since the original final fantasy games which was kind of where i was going with that whole speech at the beginning so now i've brought us full circle so i should probably shut up soon but just to finish that thought I'm super excited to play it. It looks, even though I will probably never find anyone to play it with me, it looks super cool. And I, uh, I got a module that I've been wanting to play that I would recommend ev- that everyone says is like the best mega dungeon like ever created. And it, it's called Stone Hell. And Stone Hell is literally just like a 10 level, like 400 room dungeon that is so big that basically, you know, you could play it for like 50 hours. It's basically. What if a dungeon? What if like exploring one dungeon was like your whole campaign setting? And I love that. And that sort of gives you some idea of why the game used to be called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and so I am super duper psyched to just imagine right now. Yeah, it's a good module. If you like, uh, nobody listening to this podcast likes any of the things that I like. But if you somehow find what? yourself, that, that's if, why they come to us, baby. I, they clearly come to hear you talk about weird Swedish movies. They don't come to hear me talk about, uh, you know, uh, multi-volume mega dungeons. But All right. if you should try, if you should be interested in that kind of thing, you should check it out because it is a beautiful project. It is a wonderful artifact of how, like, of both immersion and game design because it like i said it is this incredibly detailed product but it also has all of these like gaps where it's like if you go into this room here's what you see here's what's on the wall we're not going to explain why that's written on the wall if you want to create as the dungeon master if you want to create a backstory for what the words on the wall mean you are absolutely encouraged to do that do you have to can you just leave an unset it as unsettling graffiti to haunt the minds of your players and make them wonder what the fuck happened here you can do that too uh, I'll just to clarify. So, when you're describing this as being like the D and D zero point five, uh, what is this again specifically? It's called Swords and Wizardry. There so, we go. Okay. Because they don't have the, and particularly now that the original game license isn't a thing anymore, they can't call it Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. But yeah, you roll a D twenty. You you play as a wizard or a fighter or a thief. You have saving throws. So insofar as it has all of that, it is recognizably Dungeons and Dragons. Just very different from fifth edition. Sure, sure. Uh, cool. Uh, well, and then did you have a third thing, or was it those two? No. It, well, so Guardians of the Galaxy, Girls by Moonlight, Swords and oh, Wizard, Stone Hell module. Which you're reminding me now. I forgot about this. It was I went to SecuraCon once, which is anime convention out of Seattle. Uh, only time I've been to an anime convention, and I remember uh, being very curious about going to this uh, later in the night board gaming session of a game called, if I remember correctly, Anime Fairy Meat Steamy Midnight Love Addiction, uh, Edition, and then going into the room and seeing all the people playing it and being like, I don't want to be in this room. Um, different than I think Kyle, uh, the experience you and I and previous guest Chloe had with our our board game adventure, where 
that stuck around and played some board games. But, um, you know, the, the title and the curiosity did not, did not match my expectations. Alas. That sucks, man. <sighs> yeah. It's, it's pretty, I, I, thank you for saying so. You know, not a lot of people have really acknowledged the trauma I went through that night. Well, Kyle, did you know that on TikTok it's still a like? Ah, I don't want to get into this. We should call. No, it. No, get into it. This is our this is our outro. Kyle, what's what note are we leaving on today? Something for everyone to think about before we. Return I just wanted in two to weeks. let you know that there was there was a TikTok that a girl made about going into a, a, a hobby shop to buy something and seeing that they were hosting a Magic the Gathering tournament and immediately having to pull her shirt up over her nose. And I thought of you instantly. Oh, Kyle! Oh, you're, it's all coming back. It's all coming back. <laughs> Except in my experience, and um, this is probably a localized phenomenon. The Magic players, by far more annoying. The Warhammer players, by far smellier. <laughs> that was. I think I I did have to once very politely confront a customer about, hey, we like you here. You know, you're a regular. That's cool. We are getting complaints about the smell that I think maybe is coming from you, buddy. So, yeah, uh, it's it is very real. And um, hey, let's let's leave on this, nerds. Being smelly ain't part of it. Doesn't need to be. <laughs> I mean, if that's your thing, I'm not gonna tell you not to live your life. But uh, yeah, just clean up your act. I guess you, you can. You can be a fucking comic book nerd that spends your your weekends away from your Mormon family uh, blasting orcs with melta guns. Just take a shower, okay? <laughs>